Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> um, so, uh, a few weeks ago, I uh, preached a little sermon uh, out of uh, Job chapter 38. And if you were here, we remember, we kind of looked at this, uh, the interesting answer that God gave to Job in regard to his suffering. Remember that? That Job is suffering. He's really struggling, uh, lost everything, and is at the end of his rope, and God just comes and doesn't answer Job as to why you're suffering specifically, but Job, here's who I am in your suffering. You remember that sermon? We, we walked through that, the idea of God being in our chaos. Uh, and then I found myself this past Monday, uh, along with Tia, sitting at the Boston's Children's Hospital at about 8, 9 o'clock in the morning, and they, they move all of us, Scott and Betsy, Kyle's in for surgery, and Tia and I, Scott and Betsy, are sitting in this long rectangular hallway, uh, surrounded by families, uh, just utterly surrounded by pain, devastation. As you would sit, we sat towards the end, and so you could kind of look down the entire hallway, and you'd see as surgeons came out or as nurses came out to check in with families, and some of them, you'd see the doctor come out, and some of them, you'd see a mom begin to weep and sit. And some of them, you'd see a doctor come and, and hugs, and they would be so excited. And then I got to thinking, here I am, I don't know the spiritual state of all those other individuals, but here I am, sitting with a, a, a godly family in the same situation. Having asked myself, God, why is it, how is it that, that they're going through such a scary thing right now? And so I started thinking and praying through, what would we talk about this morning? And the Lord led me to Psalm chapter 46. I, I kind of want to call this part two uh, to the Job sermon. This is the second part of this, that we know full well from Job 38 and the entire narrative of Scripture, we know full well that God sits enthroned above all things. We, we know from Job 38 that God is in our chaos, that He's in our whirlwind, that He's in our pain. We know that. We know He sits in charge of all of that. And we know that that offers a bit of a perspective change for us, that, right, that seeing God in all of His glory it, it answers a bit of the question of God, why am I suffering? but it only does so in part. And this morning I want to answer it a little bit different of a question. And it's this, I want to look at the same topic, God in our chaos, but ask this question, a little more probing, in what way is God with us in our chaos? Specifically, how is God in our pain? How is he with us? What is he doing with us in our pain and suffering? Specifically, it's one thing to catch the glorious vision of the God of the Bible in Job 38, right? It's one thing to catch that big vision of God as the designer and sustainer of all things, and quite another to understand this, that the big God of Job chapter 38 is the very God present with you at this very moment. little subtle difference there. Job 38, God presents himself as the big sovereign God of the universe. Remember, we walked through all that of planets and stars and weather systems and biological order. He's the big God of that. But he's also the God who is present with you right now. So turn with me, if you would, to Psalm chapter 46. 
And as, as we begin, let that, let that thought sink in. And it was a thought that was hitting me as I was sitting with Scott and Betsy in that waiting room. That the God upholding the universe by the word of his power, according to Hebrews chapter 1, the God upholding the universe is the very God upholding you at this very moment. So whether it's Scott and Betsy and we're weeping in a waiting room, or you're here this morning stressed out over parenting, being parent of toddlers, no one prepares you for that. Eric, how come you didn't tell me that was going to be nuts? <laughs> Whether it's that, whether it's you're facing retirement, whether you're facing job change, whether, whatever uncertainty you're facing, let this truth sink in for you, Christian, that the sovereign God of the universe is the very God present with you in this very moment. And as God's children, by grace, through faith in Jesus, we can be certain that not only is God sovereign, but he's specifically working for our ultimate good in this very moment. What a thought. And he's a personal God too. So Psalm chapter 46. We read this. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress the Word of God. What a great psalm. Now there's a, one tiny little word that I want to focus on this entire morning inside of this psalm. One dinky little word that adds to the richness and the potency of these lyrics that are penned here. It's, it comes up seven times in these 11 verses, and without it, the psalm would still remain incredible, but would lose all of its potency. One little word. You have any idea what that word is? You want to take a crack at it? It's a little word. It's the word is. I want to look at the word is this morning. The word is, it, it means a closeness, a presentness, a nearness, a currentness. 
This psalm is nothing but an expose on the isness of God. It does not offer us a God who is at a distance, but rather a God who is extremely close and present. That's what Psalm 46 offers us. It doesn't offer us a big God who is distant, a big God who's controlling the stars and universe, yet leaves us to ourselves. Psalm 46 offers us the is of God, that he is currently, presently with us now, that he is close. That's Psalm 46. And a God who is is significantly different than a God who could be. Isn't that a thought? That a God who is is a lot different than a God who could be. Psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength. Refuge, it means high place, a rock, a security. It means hope. I love the psalmist says that, that God is currently, presently, really Our refuge, our high place, our safe place, our refuge. Christian, do you know that God Almighty is presently, currently, and forever emphatically your high place? He is your safe place. He is our security. He is our help. The text doesn't say that God can be your refuge or that God might be your refuge. It says, no, God is your hope, your help. Your high place. I'm not sure of what exactly it is you're facing. I, suffering is so relative. But I can be sure of this, that if you are his through Christ, then he is your refuge and he is your safe place, friends. He is your refuge. Whether you're facing sickness or sadness, again, I say overwhelmed with parenting to the young parents in the room, those who are staying home with the kids, Ellie, this is for you, this is for my wife, Julie. Anybody staying home with kids, God feels your pain. Anybody struggle with sickness and your tears and you're wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to survive? He's your refuge. Run to him. Another psalm in Psalm 16. I will read this. Psalm 16, verse 8. It says, I have set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And I love that thought. How it ties in the refuge, it says, because the Lord is near, is present, I shall not be shaken. I guess the question becomes, where is our refuge to be found? Where is our security, friends? Could it be that some of our frustrations with the seasons of suffering in our life is rooted in a misplaced refuge? Interesting thought. Could it be some of my own frustrations with suffering and pain comes from the fact that I'm trying to find refuge and safety in things that just can't help? The psalm goes on. It says, God is our refuge and strength. I love that. Not only is is he our high place, not only is he our help, Not only is he my rock, the thing that's going to hold us together, the thing that's going to protect us, care for us, he is our strength. It's strength, energy, the the one who will get me through, the one who carries, the one who sustains. And notice what's missing in the text is any kind of mixing of my own effort and God's effort. 
It doesn't say that. It doesn't say if you're just strong enough, if you give a little bit of strength and then God's little bit of strength, you're going to get through. It doesn't say that. He said God is your strength completely, fully, emphatically that he's our strength, implying, guess what, that we are not strong enough. We are weak and frail and desperately in need. And if that explains you this morning, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here. You know, I grew up uh, hunting and fishing, and my family's history is in the outdoors. And we grew up hunting over in Ticonderoga, New York, on the top of Route 74, a little town called Chilson. There's a little pond up there called Putnam Pond, and it connects to the Faroe Mountain wilderness area. Pretty, pretty rugged terrain. And uh, my family, if you've ever seen the show Duck Dynasty, uh, they ripped that off from my family. Uh, a little more, they're a little more tame on TV. Uh, my earliest memory of hunting was being seven and my dad giving me a shotgun and saying, put birdshot in when you see a game warden, if not, keep the buckshot in. I didn't realize until much later, that's illegal. <laughs> But there was this one time we were hunting up over, we're going to climb Treadway Mountain. It's a little, little mountain, but pretty rugged. And here I am, eight, nine-year-old, pudgy little me, hiking all day. It was wiped all day long. And they had this big thing, we've got to be in the woods by 4.30. Got to be in the woods by 4.30. Real men are in the woods before sun, So they say. And I'm walking all day, and I'm completely and utterly wiped. And we get to the end of the day, in order to get down the mountain, you got to climb down Treadway, and then you got to hike up Pincherry Mountain, and then hike down again to get to the pond, to get to the boat, to get across the water, to get to the truck. I remember climbing down Treadway Mountain, I was completely and utterly wiped. And literally, I started crying. I couldn't go on anymore. I wasn't strong enough. My feet hurt, my boots had holes in them, they were wet. I was muddy, I was miserable, I was exhausted, I couldn't make it down until my Uncle Chuck, my dad's brother, backpacked this pudgy little eight-year-old up a mountain, down a mountain, into the boat. I literally could not go on, and my Uncle Chuck picked me up, and I had this thought as I was studying Psalm 46, who is carrying you down the mountain? When you come to the point of your life when you have no more strength, you can't go on anymore. You can't face sickness anymore. You can't face the suffering anymore. The pain is too great. Hope is bleak. When depression sets in, when the grayness of life comes, who gets you down the mountain? Who gets you up the mountain? And could it be that some of the weariness of our suffering comes from the inability to relinquish control and say, you know what? I can't do it. I'm not strong enough. I love Psalm 46. God is our strength. There's a little account. Uh, turn with me with the Second Kings. I love First and Second Kings. There's so many cool uh, little narratives in here. And in Second Kings chapter 6, There's this little account with Elisha the prophet. 2 Kings chapter 6, and I'll read a few verses here, and I love how this ties into this thought. 2 Kings chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Once the king of Syria was warring against Israel, 
He took counsel with his servant, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not press past this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Now verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel that the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is that I may send him and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So imagine this. Here's this great army surrounding Elisha the prophet. Devastation's coming. Suffering's about to come. He's going to be captured, conquered. And verse 15, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then catch this. This is pretty wild. Verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I love that picture here. Notice Elisha, he didn't run out when he saw the armies and all the the devastation coming his way. He didn't run out with a little sword. I'm going to conquer him. I'm going to get him by myself. He realized he wasn't strong enough. He realized that he wasn't big enough. He relinquished. He prayed. And I love the vision that he saw, that he's mighty. And maybe this morning is the time that even myself, even, would relinquish control and maybe own my weakness. Maybe we could own our weaknesses and receive the truth that his grace is sufficient, that he is our strength. Psalm 46. The psalmist goes on. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Again, I love the, the, the words of Scripture are so important, right? It doesn't just say that God is a help. It says he's a present help, but it doesn't say he's just a present help. It says he's a very present help. I love that statement that he's an exceedingly abundantly source of refuge, strength, help, protection, care, love, and goodness. And he says that he's a very present help. God is not like a friend who says, I'm there for you always, but doesn't answer the phone right away. He's not limited by our humanity. God is not a friend who gives up after being hurt by you too many times. He's not only present and available, but he really is exceedingly abundantly present in your life at this very moment. Psalm 46, that's verse 1. Now verse 2 and 3. All that truth of verse 1, the psalmist then writes, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar 
and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Notice that the earth still gives way when God is your refuge and strength. Notice in verse 1, I didn't just say, God's your refuge and strength. And in verse 2, everything's going to be great for you. The mountains are never going to shift. Everything's going to be great for you. It doesn't say that. The mountains are still moved. The sea still, the still roars. I was reminded of that as I sat with Scott and Betsy in that long hallway. We made statements about God being our strength and being our help and being our refuge. And the mountains still moved. And the seas still seemingly roar. And here's what I learned from verse 2 and 3. That the point of suffering is this. To take us completely from the end of ourselves and into the presentness of God Almighty. We are not strong enough, smart enough, but He is And he is so good to us that he is willing to lead us into chaotic circumstances to lead us to himself. What a thought. Are you sick this morning with an overwhelming prognosis? Is it ever going to get better? God is offering you his presence. Are you overwhelmed with the rhythms of your life? God offers you his sustaining presence. I am your strength. I am your sufficiency. I am your safe place. He's faithful enough to us to chip away at our self-reliance and to strip away and transfer our sufficiency from ourselves and from stuff to him. Now verse 4 and 5. For time's sake, we'll hustle through these few verses here. Verse 4 and 5, it says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. I love this poetic expression of us as the people of God called the city of God, the holy habitation of the indwelling spirit himself, and God's presence and nearness, his isness, is the refreshing flowing river that brings gladness and joy. Gladness in that even though our mountains move, he is with us. We will not be moved, for he is unmovable. I love that thought. Now verse 6 and 7. The the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, If the last few years of political fray have taught us anything, it's the fickleness of the raging and tottering of earthly kingdoms, right? I think Twitter and Facebook have really exacerbated this for us. Like, I'm literally nerved up to check the news each morning, right? Like, I kind of struggle. Honestly, I get scared. It's it's, It's like parenting August and Evangeline and letting them in the room alone together. You're sitting in the living room and you're like, that's going to take a while to fix. (laughs) Raging and tottering, and yet he remains. You see that here. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, but he utters his voice and the earth melts. He sits enthroned above all of it. He could speak and destroy it like that. And the Lord of hosts, that God, is with us. 
We have no need to fear. The Lord of angelic armies is present with us. I love that thought. That he is the one who will make it great again. I love that. And maybe the reason that we fret and, and fear, this is myself, news cycles or the world or the state of affairs, is maybe we've misplaced our hope and security, Christian. Maybe we've placed our hope in a free market or in AR-15s or sexual liberation and so on, but He alone is with us. He alone is our refuge. He alone is our strength. He alone is our comfort. He alone is our security and our hope. And then verse 8 and 10, 8 through 10. This is, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. I love that. I love verse 9. It, it reminds me of this fact that it, I tend to think that maybe, maybe Russia, maybe North Korea, maybe they're really powerful. And, and maybe if, I, if we increase military spending here, and then, then we'll be powerful, and then we'll be okay, and then we're going to be protected. Turn your eyes to the God of the Bible, Christian. The one who delivered his people from the clutches of Egypt with devastations that no human could possibly ever muster. The one who empowered Samson to slay a thousand warriors with the single jawbone of a donkey. Ever read that story? That's wild. Imagine watching that one. The one who opened the mouth of the earth and swallowed up the sons of Eliab in number 26. Do you remember that account? Where the ground opens up and swallows 250 people. The one who flattened the walls of Jericho through the simple blowing of trumpets. The one who killed Ananias and Sapphira by a simple snap of his finger. The one who speaks and demons flee, storms cease or they appear, sicknesses appear or disappear. Be still and know this. In the face of our fear and suffering, we can be still. We can rest assured that he is present and with us. Be still, stop fretting. And verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God of Jacob is our safe place. That's what it's saying. And now back to our original question. So in what way is God with us in our chaos? It's one thing to say, I believe in a big God, a powerful God. He is. He's sovereign over all things. But how is he with me in this present moment? And whatever I face, whatever scary situation I'm facing, whatever suffering I'm facing, whatever pain I'm facing, in what way is God with me? He is. He is present with us. His being present, his isness, is the assurance that all things are working together for our ultimate good. His presence and nearness and closeness to us proclaims not only is he holding the entirety of the universe together, but that he is currently, presently, and forever upholding and sustaining you. His isness is his nearness to you in all the seasons of your life. It's his experiential proximity to every ounce of pain that you feel. 
whether you're facing cancer, retirement, whatever it is, God is with you and all of that made possible by the ultimate expression of the closeness and nearness of God in Jesus. I love that. The one Jesus who took on flesh to be made like us in every way. Jesus who suffered like us. Jesus who cried like us, bled like us, and was rejected like us. The one who feared like us, taking all of it to the cross and with every swing of the hammer forged a glorious present and a glorious future for us. And boy, the moment the stone rolled away and he walked out, it was done. Purchasing for us the forever presence of God as children. God is near because Jesus has brought us near. If you get one thing from Psalm 46, it is that, that he is near, friends. Maybe we should start practicing that presence of him in this very moment. Amen? Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that not only are you enthroned above all things, in control of all things, upholding universes, holding cells together. Everything we see and don't see, you, you have your hand in, and yet you're also a personal God, a relatable God, the God that is near to us. And we praise you that your word says in Ephesians 2 that by the blood of Jesus that we've been brought near. We were once far away. We've been brought near to your presence. We cling to you as our refuge, as our strength, we look to you in the face of all of the uncertainties of our life, whether physical, whether health, whether careers, whether the state of our world, the state of our nation. We look to you as the one who is, the one who is near and loves us. We love you. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.